Hi, Dragana. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. As an introduction, I would like to ask you to briefly tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what is exactly your field of study, your field of research, and um, how did you come to this topic? Hi, Dina. Thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure for me to be a guest uh, on your podcast. So my field of studies is Ukrainian language and also Russian language. I studied those languages at the University of Belgrade, the Faculty of Philology. Uh, my field of research during my master's studies was critical discourse analysis. I analyzed pre-electional discourse in Russian, Ukrainian, and Serbian language. And during my PhD studies, I analyzed uh, CLIL teaching. So basically, now I'm working as a teacher trainer. I help other teachers use digital technologies. But before that, uh, I used to work as a university teacher in Serbia for eight years. Okay, so you've uh, always had an interest on the language politics and uh, the, the politics reflected in the language, how politics is reflected in the language, which is what actually also brings us to this topic that we're going to talk about today, and that is the language of war. Before we start, I would like to state that none of the things that we are discussing today reflects our political affiliations whatsoever. So this is a strictly scientific point of view. So I hope no one will take it as something else and it is not meant to represent anything else other than the linguistics approach to the changes that are happening in the language. So my first question is going to be about your personal experience. How strongly did the war in Ukraine influence the language policy among Ukrainians? What is what is something that you might have noticed in in the contact with people that you've had so far? If we speak about everyday life, I noticed that many people who used to use Russian language in everyday communication and who used to post their content on social media in Russian language, they decided to change into Ukrainian. And that is also followed by official language policies because there were some restrictions on using Ukrainian language uh, in education, in the sphere of uh, music, uh, books, uh, etc., if you're interested to learn more about Ukrainian language policies during the last uh, decades, I would like to recommend a book. Uh, it, it's called Language Politics, Language Situations and Conflicts in Multilingual Societies. Uh, this book deals with the language situation in Russia, Belarus and Ukraine. Uh, and it consists uh, of many separate articles dealing with different uh, aspects of the language policy. I would like to recommend uh, the articles from Larissa Masenko and Nadia Kiss because they are dealing with the Ukrainian language situation. And if we are talking about uh, Ukrainian people living abroad, I had the opportunity to work with some Ukrainian students during the summer school uh, at the University of Innsbruck. I noticed that... Uh, all of them are using Ukrainian language, but some of them are still using Russian uh, when they're speaking among themselves. So I would say that 
both languages are still used, but there is a tendency of uh, preferring Ukrainian language, which is also supported by official laws. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is the the answer that I was sort of expecting because a lot of people that I know and from the media and Instagram and other things, I think it is clearly noticeable that people are trying to revive the usage of Ukrainian nowadays. And that is something that might have not been that noticeable before, but now I think it's um I think it's present in every every aspect. And I think this is this this I would say switch in a way is deeply present, which is I mean sort of understandable. Yeah, yeah. It's a tendency that we could notice during the previous decade, not only during this year. So within last five years, the, the Ukrainian language became the main language in higher classes uh, in education. Mm-hmm. When I say higher classes, I mean... Uh, high school, for example, or Mm -hmm. elementary school starting from the fifth class. And we also, with every next year, we had more and more support for using Ukrainian language in the media, for using Ukrainian language um, in everyday life. So this is a logical tendency. We also had a lot of music in Ukrainian language uh, before, uh, but the media stations were playing mainstream music coming mm-hmm. not only from Ukraine, but also coming from another countries that uh, have Russian-speaking population. And some of Ukrainian musicians used to create music in Russian in order to have more uh, fans in other countries outside of Ukraine. So many of them kept doing that, but some of them switched to Ukrainian, which is perfectly expected in this situation. And and how I mean now that you've mentioned the the educational system, how was it before? Before the school was also in Russian, or I mean, okay, in the Soviet Union, yes, but afterwards, after Ukraine gained its independence, the educational system was led mostly in Russian still, or before the the the, the revival period, let's say. It depends. Uh, There were some schools in Russian language. There were some schools in Ukrainian language. There were also some schools in uh, minority languages. And Mm -hmm. it depended on the region. It depended um, on the school itself. Uh, As I did my teaching practice in Ukraine in 2011, for example, I visited some Ukrainian schools in Kyiv that had teaching classes in Ukrainian, but during the breaks they were speaking Russian with their teachers. So Mm -hmm. Both languages were present uh, in educational system and one could actually choose um, in what language they want to study. Uh, Starting Mm -hmm. from the year uh, 2017, uh, in Ukraine, there was this law on education, which supported the usage of Ukrainian language on higher levels on education. And it also gave the possibility for all the students uh, coming from minorities, uh, Russian minority included, to learn their uh, native language as a school subject, but Mm -hmm. not as the main uh, aim of teaching. So... It is something that changes a lot, something that depends on the region. And it is really difficult to explain that in few sentences. So that's why I uh, recommended a book. That's why I stated some laws, because 
if you want to understand the situation deeper, you need to follow the changes uh, starting from year 91 to this year because the usage of Ukrainian language was more and more supported with the exclusion of uh, one particular year where they had uh, the regional status of Russian language and some other minority languages. So it's changed during the years depending on political situation and depending on ruling party. But uh, within last five years, I would say that there is a tendency of greater support to usage of uh, Ukrainian language in every field of life. And this this situation also brought some changes changes within the language itself. And you stated in in your in your presentation that some of the changes are here to stay. Can you give us some examples of of those changes? And what is the thing that makes that distinction between the ones that are just let's say passing through and the ones that are that are here to stay? That's a really difficult question, actually, because uh, we are now in the middle of the time and some expressions appear, some of them disappear after a few weeks or a few months. I would say that some initiatives are here to stay. For example, I have noticed decapitalization of words connected to Russian notions. Those are names like Putin, word Russia, word Moskva, word Kreml in Ukrainian, they are no longer written with a first capitalized letter like other personal names and other country and Mm -hmm. city names. They are now written with the the first letter decapitalized small. I have also seen in the media the cases of usage when they have a title, all the letters are capitalized and then in the word Russia they have small r. And this is actually something that is not only on the internet, Some linguists from Ukraine are actually proposing this to become a part of their orthography. For example, Oleksandr Avramenko, which is known for making official tests uh, at the end of the school of the high school for Ukrainians. Uh, He is suggesting that from now on, uh, people should be able to write Russia, Putin, Kreml with small letters, and that shouldn't be uh, seen as a mistake. So I would say that perhaps this initiative is going to stay there for a while. Also, some phrases which uh, already became a part of internet culture. Uh, For example, there was this phrase about uh, Russian warship. It was actually in Russian. Uh, It means that uh, Russian warships should go to hell. Like this phrase has already been used on different postcards, uh, bags. You can actually buy a bag with a picture oh. <laughs> of the ship. And this phrase, you can also buy some envelopes if you want to send letters. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's something that leaves. Many people have this phrase as their cover photo on Facebook. And mm-hmm. it's actually a longer version of a swear word they used to have, like go to hell. They just added the Russian warship. And I also noticed some variations of this phrase, for example, which are sending people to hell using the word for the warship. So I would mm-hmm. suggest that phrase is here to stay because it has different versions. People use it in Russian. People now use it in Ukrainian. People use uh, different versions of it. 
So in my experience, phrases that get to be used in many versions are here to stay. I think this phrase is going to um, stay in the language the way some phrases from commercials or from movies stay in the language. And the ones who are not here to stay uh, are probably the ones who contain the names of the politicians. For example, if you say Arestovity, it contains the name of Arestovich. This is the Ukrainian military officer who is giving live um, shows every evening explaining the situation. And his role is somehow to explain the situation on the battlefield to the people and to calm them down. So uh, there is this verb, uh, arestovity, and this uh, noun, arestovlenya, which is a mixture of povidomlenya, like the message, and arestovich, which is uh, the name. So it's a message to calm someone down. For example, кожного дня я відправляю батькам арестовлення. So every day I'm sending a message to my parents to calm them down. Mm-hmm. I think the phrases who contain the personal names are not going to stay in the language for a long time. They're here because these personalities are now important, but I think they will be changed with something else. Okay, this is a whew, this is a very very interesting phenomenon that I've not been aware of. Obviously, the phrases that you mentioned at the beginning are something that I think even people that don't really um, speak the language are familiar with, at least in the written form. But the fact that the names of certain politicians have been used in the language and in order to send some additional message is something that I might say is not something that I'm really aware of in any other language. Now I'm thinking about Serbian, for example. But now that you, now that you've mentioned the the, the field of um, of lexics, is it the one that has been influenced the most in in the situation? I mean, this is this is the lexics is obviously the one that is the most exposed, I would say, uh, to change. But is it is it the vocabulary that has changed in the language, or or is it some other field that might also be influenced as well? Before I answer this question, I would like to add something to the previous one. This situation when the verbs are made of nouns is not new to foreign languages because in German there used to be a word of of the year. I think it was uh, the word of the year with the name of Angela Merkel. Merkel or something like that, it used to mean hesitate. I should check this one because I, di- I didn't check it before our talk, but it used to be one of the words of the year because they make all those lists every year. And mm-hmm. many of those words just simply, they're simply being used uh, within some shorter period of time. And after that, people just spontaneously stop to use them. So I would say this is going to be the case with some of Ukrainian words with the names, but uh, other ones are here to stay. And what I have also seen in Ukrainian language a lot is orthography. Uh, and I mean not only the capitalization of the words connected to Russia, but also adding Latin symbols, for example. People are adding the symbol Z from Latin alphabet, and we know that symbol Z is used among uh, Russian military service. So 
people from Ukraine are using this symbol to write the word referring to Russian people. For example, they are not always writing Rosyanan, Rosyanka for a Russian person. They use the Russian word uh, Ruski, Ruskaya, but they mm-hmm. write it in Ukrainian letters adding Z symbol. So it would be, for example, R U Z symbol capitalized, then a soft sign uh, K and I. Are those changes also noticeable in the official media? I mean, not this one in particular, but for example, the, the vocabulary changes or decapitalization, things like that. Is it also present in the official media or just on the scene of social media, internet and among among people in everyday life? Some time ago, I saw a publication of Ukrainian Ministry of Culture recommending writing uh, words Putin and Kreml with small letters. So I would say mm-hmm. it's a common thing. Okay. Uh, yesterday, I was browsing YouTube and I saw a poster of uh, STB channel from Ukraine uh, and the word uh, Russia was written that way. It was mm-hmm. a part of the title, so all the letters were capitalized except the letter R in the word mm-hmm. Russia. So I mm-hmm. would say that in this particular moment, it's also used by some media. And I'm reading some local newspapers on the internet that are also using all the words connected to Russia written in small letters. It was also an official recommendation of a linguist who is in charge of Ukrainian language tests that high school students uh, have to pass at the end of the high school. So uh, mm-hmm. he also suggested writing words uh, referring to okay. Russia with small letters. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would say that there is a chance that this change is here to stay, but it's really hard to prognose now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did, did meme and internet culture contribute in any way to the chan- changes happening in Ukrainian and Russian and in, I mean, in languages in this situation? Definitely. Uh, some of the expressions uh, were born in the internet culture or in some particular subcultures. For example, there are some words uh, which are used mostly on Twitter. And if you're no- not using Twitter, you're not going to uh, know this word. And there are some memes that uh, became mm-hmm. widespread that everyone knows. For example, I don't know, you might have heard about Skaju uh, Palyanitsya. This is this initiative how to recognize a Russian person in Ukraine. So there is this belief that Russian people are not able to say okay. soft C, such in the words Palyanitsya. And uh, there was this meme and people are also using it in everyday life. It's like a check if you are a Russian person or a Ukrainian person speaking Russian because Ukrainian people speaking Russian We're surrounded uh, by Ukrainian language enough in order to say Palyanitsya or any other word ending like Uchenitsya, Polunitsya, Chernitsya or any other word ending on Itsya. Uh, and mm-hmm. Russian people are mm-hmm. usually not used to this combination of sounds because uh, T is always hard in Russian language. So uh, this is something that is probably going to stay and it's something that appeared on the internet and is now used in everyday language. There is also this form of uh, greeting at the end of the message, Sebude Ukraina, everything is going to be Ukraine. So it's okay. a kind of greeting that is here to stay. It's used not only 
on the internet, but it's also used uh, in everyday language if someone is giving a talk. And in the end, as an optimistic way to finish the talk, you may say, Ukraina. Most of the changes that we've covered are Ukrainian-based. What is with Russian? Are there some traces of war in Russian as well? Of course, there are some words. One of the reasons is the fact that many people in Ukraine also use Russian language. So when they uh, write or speak in Russian, they tend to use the same changes. And some words were actually made in Russian language because they were referring to things that happened in Russia. For example, when there was this mobilization, uh, Russian people made a word combining the word magila, which is a grave, and mobilization, which is mobilizatsia in Russian. And this new word magilizatsia appeared, which means to be uh, like mobilization into graves, meaning oh, that uh-huh. people who are being mobilized are going to die because they are not professional soldiers and they're not prepared. Mm-hmm. And this word appeared in Russian language, but it's now also used in Ukrainian. And some of the changes, some of very interesting examples of language usage are coming from different languages. For example, some of the names uh, referring Russia as a state are actually based on fictional locations from fantasy. For example, Mordor or Orkostan are referring to some territories which were described in previous English language books and now are used Mm -hmm. to describe Russia. So uh, Mm -hmm. the Black Land of Mordor is now used to describe uh, Russia and also Orkostan, which combines the word Ork, and the word stan, which is the suffix for a land, which is basically associated with developing countries. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. if you say Orkostan, it's a country of orcs living in underdeveloped country. And people are actually <laughs> using that to refer Russia. And if Ukrainian people use it, they use it in the language they are speaking or writing. So if they write in Ukrainian, they are going to use it in Ukrainian. If they write Mm -hmm. in Russian, they're going to use it in Russian. Mm -hmm. My last question to you, what are are the, the most striking changes that you think would never be reversed? We've covered a lot of them today. But what is maybe maybe one change that you think is here to stay as a consequence of the war? Well, I think this switch to Ukrainian language for many people and for many media is here to stay as a mean of identification. If we speak the same language, we are on the same side. The second thing I think will stay are some of the words referring to Russia, like the mentioned uh, Mordor or Orkostan, because they are widely used at this particular moment. And people who have negative emotions towards Russia are going to keep using them in the future also. And perhaps this decapitalization and some phrases that are commonly used. For example, I think this greeting of Sebuda Ukraina is going to stay forever, but we are going to see that in the years to come. Yeah. Dragana, thank you very much for this amazing talk. Thank you for explaining the language situation and some very important phenomena that are 
seen in both Ukrainian and Russian. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your research that you did on this. And yeah, thank you all for listening. Thank you very much for having me here today.